Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. It is January 9th. I'm Samuel McCullough, one of the hosts here, and I'm also joined by my esteemed colleague, Defy Visor. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Nice to, nice to be here, man. I'm doing great. And we also have a very special guest and newest member of the A team, Mr. Crypto. Yeah, Rector. man. Thank you, sir. Let's go. Respect. Respect. Best of respect. Honestly, an honor to have you on the A team uh, by Aladdin Dow. We just like we talked uh, before it, but I would say it here on air as well. What uh, what an amazing addition uh, to us, to Aladdin. Uh, much respect. Feels natural. Welcome aboard, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Appreciate everything. Can you talk about that? Like, what is the A team and what do they do for Aladdin now? See, a marketing arm for Aladdin, you know, and uh, marketing um, media, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like. Anyway, yeah, yeah. It's I'm like what Leviathan is for Frax, maybe. Or like know, Flywheel, yeah. Little Flywheel is to Frax. Yeah, yeah. We took the, we took the exact, uh, that model. That, that was our inspiration to start with Aladdin. Uh, the early days that we started, we, we started talking. We were, uh, some of us from the community booster programs, which, by the way, in my opinion, I think that many DAOs should consider that route. Because I think that for Aladdin, at least the way it was executed there, and still being executed there, I think it's uh, very smart over. Yeah, I have to say, like, it's been very active. The timeline is full of a lot of FX and a lot of Aladdin content. It's, it's working, you know, it's working. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to be part of that team. I think that, you know, I think I've mentioned it to you, Sam, like, I think Protocol FX and um, Aladdin, all of the Aladdin products are, are, are special. I think they're synergistic with a lot of the things that are going on with Convex, with Frax, um, and I think that, uh, I think together they're going to, they're going to achieve some pretty big things. I, I, I definitely like what they're doing with, um, you know, new stable coin. I think that, and I do think that, uh, the platform itself is going to be something big for, uh, the LSD narrative going forward. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And by the way, I think it's just like, uh, Noah Seidman, Captain Rational uh, says it, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's a federation being built and, exactly. uh, the stronger that federation is, the stronger uh, we all are. And I think that we like learn from each other on several aspects. Like, for example, uh, not by not just uh, products, for example, but once Frax were the first to uh, move with something like Flywheel, which I think was very smart of them, uh, me and some other community boosters started talking and told ourselves, okay, why, why shouldn't we try to take that model and uh, bring it to Aladdin? Because this kind of stuff actually works and it, uh, join, it makes the community stronger and gives them like uh, the place to... To, to feel like they're getting involved, not just on community calls, on Discord or uh, whatever. And I think uh, that, uh, you know, the stronger we are together, uh, as we recognize like each other's strengths and weaknesses as well, and we learn how to like, uh, we're just becoming more robust. The more yeah. we uh, like know, uh, like strong protocols, working together, flywheeling. And by the way, the, the name flywheel is brilliant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, let's let's hop into the theme today. I wanted to talk about the Spot Bitcoin ETF. And in the first part of the show, we are going to uh, review some of the information that we have so far. Uh, and then uh, after that, we're going to talk about portfolio construction when it comes to a like a, a non-crypto portfolio. So we're going to look at some of the stocks and other options that you can include to your uh, your, your actual brokerage account for real securities. Uh, if you're interested in getting exposure to the crypto markets and what the ETF might mean for for Bitcoin. So uh, yesterday we had this nice little tweet from Gary G. Uh, it actually was a uh, a four tweet, right? 
Yeah. <laughs> it's always funny when uh, people call him Gary G. You know, it's it's always funny to me. This is like the pre-Bitcoin ETF tweet. I mean, that's what it exactly. is. Exactly. Uh, but but four, it was a four-tweet thread. Yeah, as always. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, uh, Mr. Gensler came out and said that. Uh, let me let me just see if I can. Uh, Do you think they think about that like before they tweet these things? <laughs> are they like are they actively thinking about all these little like sub subliminal like patterns and thoughts and stuff? Yeah, I think they do. I think they play around with us. <laughs> it's possible. I really do. I'm not gonna be the one saying that 100 no. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. Like, there's a surprise me if they were having fun. Like, oh my god, I did, I did it with four tweets, man. I did it with four tweets, ah, and they're laughing over there. You know, just like the. I think they are. I think they're they're laughing, laughing, laughing like lizard people. <laughs> lizard people. <laughs> they, no, the, the meme. I mean, the meme. I'm not saying that they are lizard people, but like when, when they're laughing, ah, oh, and then they bought it, just, and then guys, just think about this, okay? Think about this. Tomorrow at around you know 6 p.m., you know, someone is going to have to release the tweet, and 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 they're going to have to get the approval, right? And they're going to have to be like, there's going to be a moment when they're like, should we release the tweet now? And and Gary's going to be like, yeah, go ahead and do it. You know, it's just the moment is going to happen. It's it's there. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, so Gary came out and gave the obligatory crypto is is dangerous and could be risky, uh, saying that uh, they might not comply with laws. Uh, investors should understand that they may, might not have information, key information and other important protections with their investment. It's very risky investment that they should be looking at. Very volatile. Uh, and this is probably just a precursor to what's coming for uh, either today or tomorrow. Uh, it's Tuesday. Everyone is expecting that these ETFs are going to be launched within the next couple of days. Uh, yesterday, we had Valkyrie come out and say that they expect the Spot Bitcoin ETF to go effective Wednesday, but trading beginning on Thursday, um, which is pretty cool. And then we also had a uh, like a list of all the uh, fees finally come out. And really, it's a race to the bottom with fees. Yeah. Uh, so the... The fees here uh, go anywhere from like zero all the way up to 1.5% uh, for uh, Grayscale Bitcoin Trust. Um, and so the, the fees themselves are not are not that bad. I mean, the Vanek Bitcoin Trust, which is expected to be one of the bigger ones, has a 0.25% uh, expense ratio, uh, as well as some of these other ones, all within like you know, 0.25 or up to 0.5%. So I guess the cheapest one here is Bitwise. Is that like the most cost-effective one? Oh no, it's it's iShares, right? Uh, I think it is. I think it is Bitwise. 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 These fees are the the zero percent is of teaser fees. Yeah. So you'll have a, a zero percent fee for like three to six months as they try to onboard as much uh, uh, like uh, TVL, I guess, yeah. if you want to use that term for the as much uh, supply into their uh, equities uh, during this time period. And then after that, after the teaser period is over, then it'll flip over to the the full fee. You know, you know, looking at this, I don't know if you noticed, but the Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, the GBTC, I mean, at one point five percent, I don't know. It seems really interesting that they were able to keep that, and that's actually smart from their point of view because I think they were able to do that because there's so many people already in there, and they've got gains, capital gains locked in, so they don't want to pay taxes. So people are going to be like, yeah, I'd rather just pay the one and a half percent management fee or, you know, fee and then and then just, you know, not have to worry about a, a, a capital gain. So they're capturing people by doing that. It's actually smart. 
Yeah, yeah. Because if you if you were to sell and move into a different another Bitcoin, one, then, yeah, different Bitcoin product, that would be, be paying cap you. Yeah, yeah. long-term capital gains, which could be a lot. I mean, you're, you could be talking about yeah, yeah, especially recently. I mean, GBTC has been up at least you know thirty percent, forty percent, something like that mm -hmm. since the, the beginning of the of what, like last year. Yeah, and so it, it looks like we could see report, or we have seen reports that we're going to see inflows of maybe a billion or two billion or even three billion dollars within the first couple of days into these ETFs, uh, which could be yeah. the largest inflow of assets into uh, any ETF in recorded history. Um, insane. And, that and, is insane. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and what's notable about pretty much every single one of these ETFs is that the, uh, the uh, execution for the trades is, is pretty much all going through Coinbase. And so that's why I wanted to have this discussion today about like building a portfolio using your stock account uh, to get exposure to Bitcoin, which um, I know that I, I do some. And do you guys do any of that? Do you have any crypto stock? Bit. Yeah, I do a little bit. I have a standard brokerage account. Believe it or not. <laughs> For me, currently, I'm just in crypto. I don't have uh, like... Uh... I don't have enough capital for me personally to be wanting uh, like okay yeah let's do let's do also uh, this and that for me it's full on crypto at the moment yeah so I guess the default would be to start with Coinbase uh, Coinbase is easiest choice probably by the way for an investment no uh, if you want to go with the tradfi route no yeah so Coinbase is up uh, three like three hundred percent or two hundred percent on the year. Uh, wow. it's trading at 50 now it's trading at 150 um still i think it i think it probably has a long way to go yeah if you're I looking so. at like a, a 10 year what's the market cap done, uh, Sam? uh market cap is 37 billion dollars for coinbase yeah. i mean it could be easily in a bull run it could be over 100 billion I yeah mean, exactly pretty 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 obvious i mean the fact that they're getting all the fees from all for all the etfs and they have base too mm -hmm. i mean it's What's the revenue numbers, by the way? Any portfolio. What's the revenue numbers like? How much is Coinbase earning a month a year? Uh, so it should be here. So the last uh, earnings per share was minus three twenty. Uh, here, hold on, I can get some of these here. Financials. Okay, so <clears throat> in this is quarterly. Okay, so uh, total revenue for the last quarter of uh 2022 was 2.7 ah, 2022 oh this is 2.7 billion dollars of revenue uh with gross profits of 2.4 billion dollars um that's, that's pretty healthy yeah <laughs> it's not bad but do, don't we have any stats here about uh, 2023 uh <clears throat> it's not been updated yet not out yet i guess <clears throat> yeah it's not out yet uh, Honestly, interesting uh, what happened uh, to the revenue there from 2022 to 2023. Yeah, uh, but you know they're they they have been negative for their uh, for their cash flows coming into this year, um, uh, just because the market's been down a lot. And so we also have Millie as well too. Welcome, sir. How you doing, Millie? Hey guys, how you doing? Good morning. Doing good. Hey, good morning. Good uh, so good. I'm, ho I'm hoping we can have that uh, discussion about Curve and Univ4 uh, once we get there. Uh, now that we have these two uh, esteemed <laughs> gentlemen in the house, well, we'll get to that a little bit later. But Millie, we were talking about uh, the Bitcoin ETF and <clears throat> portfolio construction for 
uh, like an actual stock account. Like if you if you want to get exposure to uh, crypto stocks going into 2024. And so we were starting with coin and just talking about uh, its growth potential going forward. Um, obviously, they're going to be the execution facility for all the ETF providers. And additionally, uh, they will have other revenues from their trading services and also from base as well, too, which has been growing quite a lot. Yeah, I, I honestly, uh, I have a confession to make. I made a really bad call with uh, Coin earlier in the year. I thought maybe they're going to have a rough year. Uh, I actually like specifically thought that they would underperform ETH and Bitcoin, which turned out to be like complete opposite, right? It fully outperformed yeah. both of them. So, you know, I, I took a big L on that one on that call. So I have to concede that. Yeah, you know, looking back on it, Coin was probably the easiest like play because uh, there without a, a Bitcoin ETF, uh, Coin was the best place to get exposure to crypto for existing institutions that just wanted to buy securities. Uh, you know, it was in a functioning company. Sure, they're in battle with the SEC right now, but it's a stock that you can just like go out and buy. And uh, there's no issues with allocating into it. And it's it's done really well. I mean, Bitcoin's up, what, 2x this year, while Coin is up uh, 3x. Uh, or, yeah. yeah, 3x at the moment. So um, it's uh, it should be continuing to grow. Hopefully, we'll see more revenues come from, from base, uh, which is pretty significant. We've talked about that uh, with, uh, uh, with Tarek a couple of days ago. Uh, but I wanted to look at uh, something else, right? So... There's a nice handy little uh, uh, tool that you can use. This is just like a back test chart. And I think this is the reason that I wanted to start the discussion today uh, where you can plug in a bunch of different stocks and say like, uh, build me a, an, uh, a portfolio and just see how back tests. So what I've done here is I've got four mining stocks. So I have uh, Bit Digital or sorry, Bit Farms, Marathon Mining, uh, Bit Digital, uh, CleanSpark and Iron or Iris Energy, uh, and I've done an equal weighted, equal weighted portfolio of those uh, versus just buying BTC versus just buying uh, Coinbase, and uh, started with like an initial ten thousand dollar amount and uh, did a thousand dollars of contribution every single month uh, with no rebalancing, and the results were interesting. I thought about the I, I saw this. So um, the the best performing portfolio of that would have been just buying Coinbase, right? So if you had just bought Coinbase, uh, you would have ended up uh, with about $68,000 start from starting from back in January 2022. Uh, in just behind would be buying Coinbase. Uh, and then below, Bitcoin actually underperformed that. So Bitcoin um, only uh, performed, let's see, uh, quite a bit worse, actually. So. Uh, it, it made sense for this year to get involved with uh, stocks in the mining sector and then also with Coinbase as well versus uh, Bitcoin. Um, and I guess the question is, is going into 2024, is this beta play of companies that are adjacent to crypto, will they outperform Bitcoin as the spot ETF is confirmed? Uh, probably. I think so. Because, I mean, I remember in last bull run, I remember those stocks being like, crazy i mean they were huge huge multiples um, i would assume the same thing would happen um i mean I, I, for bitcoin i mean I, I assume there's probably a two or three x from here right like if we get to 120 150 000, something like that that would mm -hmm. 
I don't know. I mean, I think these other mining stocks probably have bigger, you know, potential, I would think. Yeah. And if I if I switch out, the interesting thing is if I switch out uh, MicroStrategy with Bitcoin, it pretty much performs the the same as those other uh, beta plays that I talked about. Hmm. Um, MicroStrategy has actually outperformed Bitcoin coming into uh, <laughs> since since 2022, January 2022. Um, and do they even do other stuff other than holding Bitcoin these days? Like, do they even? Uh... To me, they're like I'm an joking. ETF. I mean, I'm joking, of course, but uh, yeah. yeah, you know, he, they were swallowing up uh, at the previous bull market. Uh, everything well, Bitcoin related, it seems. Well, that's the thing about MicroStrategy, right? Is that they don't have an expense ratio in the same way that the ETF does. So, if you look at all the all the ETFs that are coming out, they have probably like a minimum 0.25 percent expense ratio, all the way up to percent and a half. Uh, MicroStrategy has a functioning business where they are getting revenues from, and then additionally they have their their Bitcoin holdings. Uh, so in in some sense, it might be more economical to continue to allocate into to MicroStrategy. Mm -hmm. But aren't uh, like I, I, I'm not uh, very uh, like educated about that this tradfi stuff. But uh, I was told a while back that. Uh, Traditional investors are looking for ETFs because it's the safest instrument mostly uh, for them. Like they're protected in uh, some aspects when they use ETFs. Can maybe maybe some of you guys can uh, elaborate a bit on it? Well, I mean, CryptoVestor, maybe you can talk about this. But the way that I understand it is that uh, the mandates that their uh, institutions have uh, prevent them from buying Bitcoin directly. Yeah. And, and so they can buy securities. You know they can come in and buy like an equity or a ETF or uh, you know some sort of uh, debt instrument that's connected to one of these companies, but they can't they can't actually buy Bitcoin themselves. Yeah, I think that's the reason. I think that's the big unlock there for for companies that want to own just an asset versus having to own like a company or a proxy like not like a, a MicroStrategy or something like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think there's look we're already seeing the signs like the amount of billions that are about to get i'm surprised they're going to have it trading that quickly which tells me that there's a lot of demand it's going to be you know they've already talking about what billions of dollars coming in in the first week or whatever it's it's pretty insane so. yeah well you worked at a hedge fund didn't you crypto crypto investor yeah i did i did we didn't do a lot of stock uh we did a lot of other different pro we did properties and other things like that but but yeah, I, I've definitely been following for the last couple of years. Yeah. But like the fund itself has like a mandate to invest in certain things and you can't really deviate yeah. outside of that. You can't go outside of a certain, you know, uh, like framework, you know, you're kind of locked into certain things. Yeah. And that's why we've seen like anybody running a fund, like a crypto fund uh, up until like now-ish especially back in like 2017 and 18, were probably just like private family offices and other people with private capital that were able to invest in a, a, a without mandates, right? That could essentially come and access uh, the, the, the Coinbase markets or come into the uh, actual like decentralized market space uh, and allocate their own personal funds. Uh, yeah. there. But now we get now we get a wave of actual institutions coming in. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty. I, I think one thing to look out for is that, um, well, speci specifically a micro strategy, like as a beta play is, is to examine how much leverage they have, because I'm not sure exactly what the leverage is. Um, I probably should know that, but I, I know it's not crazy, but there is, I, I understand that there is some, so that, that's one thing to um, consider for a beta play. 
And then the other thing, you know, for me, when I look at the ETFs, I really think the, the real unlock here is it, good that hedge funds could um, sort of, you know, uh, now act within their mandate and, and buy Bitcoin ETFs. But the thing that um, like hedge funds are generally like, I don't know, crypto investor probably knows better than me, but like I, I would consider their flow somewhat to be like um, a zero sum as in like they're going to exit those positions at one point or another. Whereas companies that now could add like Bitcoin on their balance sheet through an ETF, I feel like that is like a like a real long term flow where like companies just add these onto their um, balance sheets, like whatever portion that they're comfortable with, and you know over time that accrues, right, and, and it becomes big. Yeah. And then the other thing I think about with the ETF is that now what you have is like these greedy like you know um, ETF um, asset managers, like their greed is incentivized to like fill up these ETFs, right, and like. Cause they get those fees. So like they're constantly have this marketing to like, you know, have, you know, to buy Bitcoin and to get people to buy Bitcoin through their ETF. So they could arb whatever um, they could do the arbitrage, whatever, and, you know, make sure that it, it the, the price is in line. So I feel like, you know, that is a pretty big unlock. It's a good incentive, right? Because like now you have these massive asset managers who are trying to fill their um, ETFs and like, there's just going to be more and more over time. They're always just going to be trying to fill it. So I feel like that's a pretty good catalyst as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's on TradFi is a, is a much different um, environment, so it's tricky to see how it plays out in, in the long term. Yeah, I will say that the the fees themselves uh, are not indicative of any sort of like. I mean, I, I think it's a bit more complicated, right? Because if you are looking at some of these lower fee products. Uh, they might be actually lending out your your Bitcoin to other places to earn funds. I mean, you, like just with the question of where does the yield come from, or like how do these companies make money? If if it's if it's not from the expense ratios, and you're paying zero fees for it, they they have to make money somewhere else. So it either has to be through some sort of like uh, payment for order flow arbitrage, or it has to be in in the lending space. That's a good point. Yeah, yeah I mean. That makes sense they're, they're, you know it's not just going to be solely reliant on the fees but i agree with what millie is saying you know i mean the fact that you're going to have pension funds and 401ks and all these different uh, uh instruments now like looking to uh, acquire or can now have a piece of bitcoin is 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 huge a huge unlock for you know the next couple of years probably i mean mm -hmm. it is, I agree. there's no other way to really put it i mean it is a very big deal um it will also be covered uh, by the media, in my opinion, in a completely different manner than it. Uh, I also uh, think that from now, because uh, the, all these uh, like uh, you know big entities uh, affect narratives, and they will uh, like uh, start painting stuff at a different light whenever it uh, like serves their interest. Go ahead, uh, Vespa. Yeah. Another thing that I'm thinking is, you know, they're probably they're so incentivized now to have a bull run. <laughs> it's it's like. It's almost like the I, I know that the Bitcoin ETF by itself is going to create demand and that's a big deal, but it, it's also it's a self-fulfilling prophecy is what I'm trying to say. And it, it, I think it's going to spark a bull run, uh, probably like we've never seen before. Um, and, you know, it's 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 going to be a pretty wild ride, I think, in 2024 and 2025 for yeah. sure. You know, they're incentivized. I mean, it, they didn't they didn't create this to see it go to zero. You know, they, they created this thing to to make it to so that many, many people can hold it and and distribute it. And so it's 
it's going to be a big deal. I mean, I'm sure we'll even see Super Bowl commercials, um, you know, this month. I mean, who knows? I'm sure the crypto market has been doing a lot of crazy things lately with commercials and. Yeah, you think, Vestor, uh, you think crypto is going to get uh, such a mainstream exposure that soon? I think it's quicker than we think. I think it's, it's, it's looking like it's quicker than we think. I mean, the fact that it's trading a day later, you know, I mean, I don't know if that's going to happen. Maybe that's just BS, but it sounds like they're going to, you know, try and get it trading really quickly. Sometimes these things take weeks to trade. I mean, you know, one day to the next and, 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 and they're talking about how much money they're each going to be seeding the, the ETF with, you know, already billions of dollars. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, that kind of that kind of volume is is big for an asset that's scarce so i don't think we've ever seen an etf created with this type of an asset so it's going to be a big deal um by the way uh who's holding the most bitcoin at, at the uh, at the moment like who's because uh, for example grayscale. i remember that way back in the day grayscale has like uh enormous always even close right or uh like BlackRock and Vanek and whoever's uh, applying for uh, the ETFs today. In fact, they hold a lot less Bitcoin currently than uh, Grayscale, right? Uh, who? Uh, the, the other giants, uh, you know. Yeah, Black they hold a lot less. I mean, Grayscale holds 600,000. I think yeah. um, uh, MicroStrategy is like 90,000 or 100,000. I thought it was 150,000. 150, uh, 150, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's not as big as Grayscale. And then I think everybody else is just it's small compared to that mm -hmm. oh, but there is the fact that like grayscale is like the bitcoin there is kind of like dead bodies piled up there a lot, yeah. of, a lot of people died on that uh the grayscale trade um last last bear market yeah. actually that's basically how uh, 3ac got wiped out in genesis too so it'll be interesting to actually see how that the whole grayscale thing um plays out um so it's gonna i think you know there is one argument that if grayscale is converted, it could be a bearish thing because so much capital is trapped there. I, I don't know, like how, what the, what is the discount at today? Is it um, still trading at a discount? Yeah. So, discount? <clears throat> so as of today, it's trading at a seven percent discount. Looking at the block. Okay. So it's it, you know it's closed up quite a bit from the thirty or forty percent or so that it was um, a while back. So like, it, it's you know it's really interesting. I mean, I I would assume that you know obviously all of it is not going to exit, but I would assume that at least some of it will um you know unwind a little bit which is which is also kind of healthy too um i feel like grayscale just been like like you know um barry silver has basically just trapped people in there and he's like milking these fees there and like he's kind of incentivized to like keep this um the non-convertible as a trust as far as long as possible so i wonder how that ends up playing out yeah and so we can see some of the the revenues that gbcc is making on a monthly basis right now so uh, they're making 51.7 million for November, 47 million for uh, October. So it's it's yeah, been big. pretty significant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and if we look at uh, what it was back in the top of the bull run, I mean, they're making close to 100 million dollars in revenue when prices were in the 50 to 60 thousands. It was definitely a cash cow. So yeah, you know, and they didn't lower their fees. I mean, they did lower them, but I mean, it's it's still they're still the highest on the list. Exactly, which makes sense. You know. Exactly, and trapped in there, and and the 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 final closing of this chart. I mean, this is this has been the most significant chart in all of crypto for the past, what, four okay. years, five years, yeah. uh, and and now with the introductions of the uh, spot ETFs, 
we this just goes away. I mean, th this this was the defining chart for Bitcoin for the last five years, and and now it goes back to to like zero percent nav. It'll it'll just track nav for now. Yeah. yeah. Do you did, did you did like this trade was pretty incredible. I mean, it, we we kind of. I think it kind of gets lost in the sauce a little bit just about how powerful this trade was. But, you know, if we look back at the beginning, back in 17 and 18, uh, the GPTC premium was trading at like upwards of over 50% a, uh, uh, premium to NAV for over a year. Right. And then it continued at a premium uh, up until January 2021 when it flipped to negative. And that's when everybody blew up. But the idea here was that uh, this was the only way that institutions could allocate into Bitcoin. It commanded a, a very healthy premium. Uh, and there was a uh, pretty incredible arbitrage where you could buy Bitcoin and then wait, I believe, six months uh, where then you could uh, essentially swap out and take that arbitrage. Um, and billions of dollars was made <laughs> on this trade. Yeah, it was yeah, pretty incredible. It was also the Widowmaker trade for many as well, like that tried to do it in late, uh, like in early 2022. Anyone who tried to do that same trade, they ended up getting cooked. So it, it was, it, it, there's, there's two sides to that coin. I think personally, I don't really have a high regard of Barry for like this, the whole, this whole thing. I mean, like, I feel like he did a lot of shady stuff um, with everybody, like all the bad actors in the space. So like, it, you know, it's, It'll be, I'm really curious to see how this whole thing ends up playing out, but something deep down tells me that he's not very interested in having this thing converted to a ETF anytime soon. He's not, I, I, I bet he's not, but I wonder if, he, if, I wonder if they're like a takeover target. Can you expand on it, uh, guys, by the way? Like why, why doesn't he, why, why does uh, in your mind, uh, he doesn't want it to become an ETF? Because of the fees. I mean, like he's got all this competition now, you know, he's got six other ETFs that are charging, you know, 0 0.024 uh management fees. It's like, you know, they, they, it's it's all the competition. Um, like the way I understand it right now is that it's um, it's a trust, right? So it's like this: you put deposit into this money into this, but you can't like just arbitrage. Like anytime it trades a discount, you can't like remove Bitcoin from the trust and like um, just like sell on the market or, or whatever. So like it's whatever capital that goes in there, it's like a one-way street, right? Yeah. And it can't come out. So like for Barry, as soon as that street becomes two-way, like, you know, any logic would say that his flows are going to start to he's lose some flows to other ETFs, especially uh, as crypto investor mentioned, like lower fee ETFs. So like, you know, for him, it's just going to lose, start losing, not losing money, but he's going to start making a lot less than he is at the moment, which is basically, he's actually making money like off like trapped, um, mm -hmm. like, trapped capital right so it's like i don't know how, how ethical it is but like you know it, realistically like he's i don't see a great incentive for him to want it to turn into a two-way street quote unquote yeah i'm, I'm actually i actually in full disclosure i actually own gbtc in my retirement account and i'm actually thinking about selling it so that i can buy bitwise because of the fees and it wouldn't be a taxable event for me so uh it, it's not i'm not really trapped in there i'm just waiting for the for the thing to start trading at nav and then maybe i can make a, a swap but uh but yeah i mean it's uh it's it's going to be interesting to watch this and barry's always been involved in this whole thing from the very beginning i mean he's always at the center of this whole this whole thing uh, it'd be interesting to see what how this all plays out yeah i'm actually most interested to see what happens with funding rates over the next six months or to a year uh, you know, we've seen elevated funding rates as we've come into this uh, 
this this potential approval for the Bitcoin spot ETF. Uh, premiums are trading quite high right now in like the 10 to you know 15% on the centralized exchanges, which is pretty incredible, right? That allows you to go like catch carry and uh, essentially buy BTC and then and then uh, become a delta neutral trade and and make 10 to 15%. Um, I wonder if this goes either down to zero or goes negative from just pure spot demand that usually we've seen in the past uh, runs that we've had that the futures demand really leads spot. But I wonder if coming into 2024, we're going to have more spot demand than than futures demand. Oh, it's an interesting thought. Yeah, I, mean, I think I think there will be more spot demand, but I don't know. It's it's it's. There's so many. There's so much involved in the futures markets that I. That it's probably still going to be big. Yeah, yeah. But one thing I can say: negative funding would have like a sustained periods of negative funding would have like broad implications for other cryptos outside of Bitcoin. Maybe it's not so much Bitcoin, but like you know, if there is sustained periods of negative funding for ETH, like a lot of LSDs would be in trouble. Um, like it would be a tough situation. Like if you're getting paid, let's say 10% to hold ETH perps. You know, and meanwhile, you're getting only three, four percent on uh, the uh, on the LSDs. You know, like that would be, you know, if it's sustained for like let's say a sustained period, it would put a lot of pressure on some of these. So the implications of negative funding for crypto is, is it's always like you know it's crazy. It leads to like very crazy dynamics, which is basically what happened in 2021, right? So I, I you know, I, I would, I, I, you know, bull markets are just so exciting for these reasons, right? You get to track all this. You know different activity and I, I feel like one thing that will happen as a result of this etf and over time is now you know a lot of this you know these inefficiencies will start to get smoothed out and this mm -hmm. is like the beginning of that smoothing process probably right now where we just see a lot more efficiency come in especially someone like blackrock getting involved like they any inefficiency they begin to see especially in relation just to bitcoin is like it's, it's going to dissipate very quickly so you know yeah that's true Millie, I actually wanted to ask you about this because I think that you've written about this before in that uh, the LSD peg that we've seen. Uh, right now, we have a, a very short uh, execute. I, I know that Celsius recently said that they are going to be unstaking all their ETH. And so the execute finally went from like zero days up to, uh, I believe it's like 30 or, or something like that. And it has kind of re-sparked discussions around you know what what happens if we see a huge run to the exits for lsds and uh, the price of steth goes at a, a discount to uh to eth again let's say we get a, a year-long execute of people trying to get out and uh there's there's just demand to to dump steth into the curve pools uh, all that liquidity is taken out and the the steth price essentially goes below eth price i think i think that's that would have huge ramifications across the entire DeFi space because it, a ton of people are like leveraged long steth by taking uh, eth as a uh, borrowing asset and if we do go to negative discount uh, we might see uh, some pretty heavy implications for that yeah I, I agree i think one thing i have to clarify that I, I i mentioned this last time when i was on your stream and it was actually misinformed um I said that the execute could potentially get to like 18 months or something. And um, after like tweeting about it and, you know, some people came in my replies and they sort of pointed out that I think um, I'm, even if all the stake were to exit, it would probably, uh, the execute would max out at like one year. So I, I think, you know, that definitely changes like my picture of it. Um, so if like a real, more realistic, like execute, maybe a couple months. Um, and so 
I think in a couple month period, a lot could still happen, but it wouldn't be definitely not as impactful as something like 18 months that I had um, suggested earlier. So I would definitely have to change my models based on that. But um, for me, basically the way I look at it is it would be a good thing. I think any pressure on these LSDs is good. Like they're, they're, they're oversubscribed, right? They're oversubscribed to too few of them. But what I would like to see is like more LSDs um, and I would like to see like more decentralization in that front. So any disruption to the LSD game is absolutely good for everybody that likes ETH. Um, so it doesn't matter, like lenders are going to be at risk, the ones that are over leveraged, that allow too much leverage on these um, LSDs that treated them like they're, they are ETH, which is a mistake. I've been saying that's a mistake for a long time. Some of them are even treating ST ETH and ETH one-to-one. So that is just, you know, a very, very, very poor, like risk management strategy, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, that's their fault. You know, it's, it's all fair, right? It's open markets, free markets. You know, they deserve to get, you know, whatever nicked for that. But um, realistically, I, I don't see anything, any bad implications of it for, you know, for the average person. Like if you're holding the LSD, like it'll depeg by a few percent, like big deal, right? Like there's way worse things that happen, right? ETH in the peak of the bull market is probably going to be trading, you know, 20% intraday trading, you know, on price changes, right? Like remember how uh, a May, 20, uh, May 18th, like 2021, you know, ETH went from like four point something K to like. 17 18k uh, uh, sorry uh, for um 4400 to like 1800 right so it's like you know in that kind of volatile environment like you know an a lsd dpeg of like three four or five percent is no big deal right but what it would do is it's going to strike uh it's going to create um an arbitrage opportunity so what people are going to do is they're going to essentially um buy the lsd and enter the withdrawal queue and what it's going to do is going to unwind a lot of these highly leveraged lsds and, you know, a lot of people say that, like, it's the least liquid LSDs that hit, get pressure here. But that's not the case. Like, we never see the least liquid um, assets get the most, like, impact. Like, if you even consider... Yeah, um, yeah. The bigger they are, the harder they fall, right? I mean, <laughs> it does make sense. Exactly. Like, they don't have a whole lot of leverage built up. And, like, it takes very few, a little bit amount of funds just to move the price back on those LSDs. So, like... In my opinion, the ones that are gonna get hit the hardest are be the ones that also like the, a lot of people don't even know about the less the smaller ones, right? They yeah. just see like the big ones depeg and they get scared, and just that that this getting scared of it is like a deterrence now from them getting overly built up in the future. So I think any shakeup in the LSD game is welcomed in my books. Um, what do you think is gonna happen with the ETH ETF and the LSDs and uh, the staking yield? Any any thoughts on how the, uh, an ETH ETF might play into all that? It would be interesting. I think, you know, to be honest, I, the way Gary is, I don't know if this SEC um, chair is going to allow an ETF, even though it might be the next a narrative after the BTC one. I'm not conv entirely convinced of that. But what I would say is that um, I think realistically, one thing I'm very skeptical of is at any point trying to market like ETH yield as risk-free, sort of this risk-free rate of crypto. I think that is extremely dangerous to normalize because it's not risk-free, right? Like there's a lot of risk of these operators, you know, doing something wrong, getting slashed, you know, there's mm -hmm. you know, smart contract risk. There's just a lot of risks in general. So I would really, 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 you know, I'm really against like, it, I see Bankless doing this often and like trying to um, market these, like the ETH staking yields, like this risk-free bond or like this, you know, it's essentially comparing it to a bond, but like bonds, they have this duration risk, which every, pretty much every asset has, but they don't have, um, which every like financial instrument has, but like they don't have this uh, 
execution risk where like you have to worry that like these bond operators are gonna do something unless they go bankrupt and even if they go bankrupt bondholders of lending company are usually at the front of the line to get um their investment back but like in this case it's like you know the operators could literally within the rules of the protocol begin like getting slashed and get um and, and losing stakes so it's like it's not risk-free and it's part of block production so it's like abstracting away the idea of block production rewards and consensus rewards and stuff like that i feel like it's a slippery slope and we shouldn't go there so like i'm, I'm very I, I, i'm a little bit concerned of like people getting carried away with uh uh with like the eth staking yield and like you know create treating it like the risk free rate and all that so i think it, it's it's interesting one to play out but i also am kind of skeptical of gary even approving an etf um so yeah if he does i wonder what the next step would be right like if he approves a etf then like the next Step. The next step is an what? iShares 10x eigenlayer restake step. No way. Curved LP ETF. That's that's not even possible. <laughs> Don't tell me that's real. There's <laughs> oh no way he photoshopped this. I think this is a real document. Guys, guys, if there's any indication that there's going to be a bull run like this, yeah, I mean, guys, like yeah. it's going to be insane. Like Before it gets really bad, it's going to be really insane. Oh my god, this should be the thumbnail, uh, Sam. By the way, this, this should, be, should the be the thumbnail. thumbnail. <laughs> <laughs> this should be the thumbnail. It's like, oh my god, <laughs> I, I, I should have pleased it. It's funny, yeah. Um, but, but, but you know what? There's, there's actually a possibility that this is the world we're entering, like, uh, it can happen. All this kind of stuff can happen. I don't know if that's soon in 2024, but uh. You know, you know. Uh, nowadays it's us, and we we see stuff like uh, I don't know uh, YCRV and uh, all these names and uh, letters, and uh, we feel like we're okay. We're like a thousand or two thousand or three thousand people, uh, like uh, who know who know what it means or ten thousand, and uh, it, it's gonna grow magnitudes. Like so, a lot of uh, new institutions are gonna get their eyes on it. Uh, uh, I think Raul, I, when in the early days when I used to uh, start listening to uh, podcasts and stuff like that, uh, I used to uh, listen to Raul Pal, and he used to say that there's an enormous wall of money waiting to uh, enter. And at some point, that wall of money will actually enter. I don't know if it's going to be in 2024, or 2025, 26, 28. I have no idea. But uh, I do think that uh, one of the main things that uh, keeps me like in the market is like that uh, th this whole thing hasn't even started yet. Yeah, I think the end goal here is really people thinking about when he says that that uh, you know when you look at portfolio construction, in if if the way that Bitcoin would fit in in kind of a fully developed mature market would be that institutions uh, globally would deploy probably one to two percent, maybe three percent of total of their total AUM into into Bitcoin and other products, and that's that's an incredible amount of of capital. Yeah, By the way, this uh, is another thing. Go ahead, Sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead. I, I want to ask uh, actually a question for uh, you guys. Like in 2030, okay, or something like that, do you think that more uh, institutions will be interested in uh, Bitcoin ETFs or ETH ETFs? Or uh, I don't know, any, any anything else? Like for, because the way I see it at least, I, I don't think that uh, this uh, Bitcoin centric uh, TradFi uh, oriented world uh, is going to last. I think that at some point institutions are going to think what I think many of us think that, uh, okay, we should focus on ETH, not uh, BTC. It's leverage ones. I think you're going to see a 2x leverage BTC, a 3x BTC. I mean, you're going to see that too. I mean, 
Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm I if if you actually trade these markets, the the ETH market is like a, a whole rung lower in terms of liquidity when it comes versus Bitcoin. Uh, the liquidity for ETH is is not great, and uh, Bitcoin just is is at a different uh, level, yeah. just different level, right? And that's not something that you can that you can re recreate easily. Uh, the venues to trade Bitcoin are, are bigger. There's more capital that can flow into them, and it's just not the same for ETH right now. So, but you know what though, Sam? Think of it this way: What if like the ETH ETF is actually like the altcoin of like ETFs for like TradFi? I, I, I could see a world where, you know, the BTC ETF does really, really well. You know, Bitcoin, maybe 2Xs, 3Xs, things are going crazy. ETH is starting to run. And then they decide, you know what, let's do an ETH ETF because we just made a killing on everything here you know, on the fees here. We could just double this up. I, I could see a world like that. I mean, maybe it's not this chair. I agree with with Millie. Maybe, maybe it's not Gary that's going to do this because... He's already pissed off that he has to approve this Bitcoin one. I don't know if he's going to do the ETH one, but it'll eventually <laughs> happen. I mean, it'll happen whether it's, yeah. it's just net, net. I mean, look at every other sector in the market, right? We have ETS for biotech, for this tech, for 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 marijuana. For we have, it's going to happen. Like we're going to get those. All coin ETS will happen. Yeah, I think a chain link ETF will happen. Yeah, for sure. But, I agree with that. Yeah. In fact, in several other markets outside the U.S., right? Like. They already exist ETFs, right? So yeah. It's, yeah. It's, not, it's not out of the, it wouldn't be completely out of the ordinary. Yeah, no, it wouldn't be. I don't think. Uh, so I did want to bring up this chart that we posted yesterday. So this is a uh, handy chart of all the uh, LRT or liquid restaking tokens that we have right now uh, that you can see the differences here. Let me see if I can make this a little bigger. Uh, but we have like Renzo and EtherFi. EtherFi we've actually had on the show before. Uh, Puffer Finance, Rio Network. And uh, there's a bunch of other LRTs that are coming soon. Uh, you know, we talked about the risks of just just staking, right? <laughs> liquid staking tokens. Yeah. And and now we're we're building these exotic. I would call these exotic derivatives on top of of the LSDs that that take just take it to a whole new level. It's like a, it's like an additional lever of it's an additional leverage that that gets yeah. put on top. Yeah, should we be concerned about uh, this? Uh, how concerned should we be about it? By the way, it, it's one of those like unknown unknowns that <laughs> we're just building, and then something's going to blow up in the future, and we'll look back. I mean, and all it takes is one bad line of code in one of these things, and it's pff, game over. Like, like I think we're with this chart is like the blueprint of the next bear market. Mm -hmm. Honestly, like this chart right here. I think if it happens, it's going to be based on something going wrong with with a couple of these LSTs. And RSTs, whatever these are called now. Mm -hmm. LRTs, they, they call it. Like, what, what what's the exact uh, LRTs? What's the exact wording on that liquid what? Liquid restake tokens. Yeah. Yeah. R RSTs. Is that what they're calling it? RSTs now. Yeah. This. Yeah. I mean, now I did listen to a podcast with um, what's his name uh, from Eigenlayers, Serene. Uh, Serene, yeah. I think. Yeah. From yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, yeah. and I I I was kind of impressed with the way he was articulating that this was not really leverage, but I can't, everybody, I mean, I, I don't know if anybody's ever going to see it any other way other than leverage, because even if it wasn't really leveraging up, like actually making the risk a lot worse, all it takes is one line of code to be bad or something to be really screwed up. And then it can unwind the whole thing. I, I just, I could see that wow. being the narrative for the next, bear market. I wanted to bring this up because we had uh, Jasper from uh, 
from Ari from Rocketpool actually come out this week and put out a essentially like a call for builders to come in and write proposals uh, to create a uh, Rocketpool eigenlayer integration. And so the the way that I've been thinking about this is that you know th there is the possibility to build these eigenlayer integrations, uh, but how does the risk parameters get built in to handle these additional uh, like slashing conditions that get built on top? Uh, I, I asked Jasper on Twitter, he said that they want to build some sort of like senior junior debt system into uh, into our ETH, but I'm, I'm still a little bit confused on it. Like if you get slashed, the eigenlayer has to get paid out first, right? Because they're they're the ones that are essentially first in the, in the debt structure. Uh, and what does that mean for our ETH holders? If you do have some sort of like large slashing event, how does that affect the peg and, and you know, how can you effectively build a eigenlayer integration into existing LSDs, especially for the larger ones that have, you know, hundreds of thousands of ETH in them? Yeah, it's actually interesting because, you know, um, Vitalik actually made a post about this, right? Like not long ago, I think, or this year about uh, restaking and what the real risks are. And I think, you know, for the most part, the way I look at it, I don't see that there's too much added leverage um, for like, because you already have these liquid restaking tokens, you already could use those as uh, uh, these liquid staking tokens, and you could already use those for leverage. So when you put into um, Egan Lair, I think it's what like how you mentioned, Sam, it's just the extra slashing risk that comes an issue. And, and you know, even when I think about that, um, so let's say like, you know, it's like there's, let's play, let's play through this, right? Like let's say Rocket Pool is securing some roll up or whatever, or anything, right? Like it's securing some chain. Um, and it, uh, like the restake rocket pool and Egan Lair is um, essentially securing some chain. From the way I understand is that whoever opted into that restaking of that chain um, will essentially be at risk if anything goes wrong there um, for slashing. So if they, you know, let's say they delegated their stake to some entity and that entity, you know, does a reorg or does something crazy and becomes slashable, what happens is it just moves from the slash moves from the RE folders that like, you know, were behaving badly to the other ones that weren't. At least this is what I think it should be, right? Like it wouldn't really make sense other than that. So like, it's not like the stake dissipates. It just goes to like these other um, holders is from what I understand. So like, but what could happen is that like, if, you know, there is some mass state of slashing event, I think this was what um, Vitalik was concerned about. Was, like there's some mass slashing event and like, you know, it creates a massive withdrawal queue. It makes the chain unsecure. Because, you know, um, now all of a sudden, like, let's say you and I were the good actors and we got, you know, our staking, you know, you know we just got 30% more stake because somebody acted badly and they got slashed. First of all, the implications for that chain are really bad, but also, you know, immediately, like, we might try and withdraw all of that. And, it, you know, now a lot of stake that was, like, this is not new stake that had come in. This is just stake exiting that already existed. And now ETH chain becomes a little bit less secure because the stake is not exiting. So I think these were sort of the risks that Vitag was um, highlighting. From a leverage perspective, I don't see how it's like that much worse than like already um, like liquid staking derivatives. But like you know, again, you know, like crypto investor uh, mentioned, like you know, it, it it you never know until it plays out, right? So it, it could be it could be catastrophic, it could be um, you know just like uh, another you know added layer of, of of risk. But you know, it's yet to be seen. I think if it does work, I I mean, after listening to him and and listening to that whole talk that he gave, it it could make ETH very, very powerful because if you're using the same validator set to create new chains, to secure all kinds of other protocols, uh, new layer twos, all, all this stuff at the bare metal, um, 
then it makes sense because why would you have to have 10 different chains, you know, with like a certain amount of money staking, you know, in each of these validators mm -hmm. when you can have like all of it on one big chain, you know, and use the ETH validator set already. So it makes sense, like from a pragmatic point of view, like what, what they can do. The question is like, from a software point of view, like, what does that look like? What is the risk from a contract point of view? I, I don't know, like, we're, it's scary, uh, but it could be really, I mean, it could really, literally have a situation where you have Ethereum, you know, validating for like some of the most innovative chains and some of the most innovative protocols out there. And you no longer need all of these different validator sets on all these other other chains. So it's it's interesting. You know? Honestly, my, I, this is what I think. I think that the reason I think that's unlikely is because I, the reason I'm, I'm like this, I might be a bit of a skeptic, a cynic. I think the reason why we see L1s is not for innovation is to sell people L1 tokens. Like that's really the reason I see people making new L1s at this point, like day and time. Like I don't want to be like I know I, I'm yeah, sorry, investor in these alt L1s, but like. Some of these that I'm seeing, like new ones come out, like to me, they're just, it's nothing new. It's like the same playbook that we've seen play out like thousands mm -hmm. of times before. And just, they just want to sell this L1 token. Now, the exactly. moment you have something other than that token securing the chain, you just defeated a whole bunch of upside for that token, right? Because, That's a good point. you know, That's so like point. these founders, they're highly incentivized to sell people this quote unquote new innovative money. And like, that's what L1s generally are at the end of the day. And like, you know, why would they forego that monetary premium, which is massive? Right? Yeah, Why would they forego that? Just to, you know, use a little more secure chain. I don't think they're here to make a secure chain. That's the truth. I think they're here to sell mm. tokens. And because mm. they look at it as like you know, they're these really smart like devs, nerdy like you know, you know, super mathematicians. The way they look at it is like, oh, Vitalik and these guys—they were kind of smart, but I could do this better. And look, there's huge upside if I do it even a little bit better, right? Like, mm -hmm. why you know, there's and the execution risk is minimal because if I don't fulfill it, I just vest my tokens and sell them, and it decentralizes and it becomes a ghost chain, and it just runs forever. That's the like that's a beauty of blockchain is like beauty and the curse, right? Like they do run forever. And so you really just, you could, they could really stop at, at, start adding like minimal support for it and it'll still go like EOS, right? They add minimal support for it and it'll still just run forever. Um, you know, the state will bloat like crazy or whatever. Maybe one day the chain will halt, but like that's in the distant future. And like at that point you just do a minimal amount of effort to like get the chain going again. And like, you know, I might be cynical, but like, I honestly think that's the truth, right? And I, I agree. I kind of agree with that. I think that you're right. I think that they're creating these L1s and they're just, they're just doing it to like they, they like they create meme tokens mm -hmm. just to sell them. And yeah, they make a little tweak here, a little tweak there. And now suddenly, you know, it's up 10 X and that's all they care about. It's the meme tokens of mathematicians and nerds and scientists. Exactly. And it's like, the, it's like the academic meme token. It's exactly also it's, yeah, exactly. it's the easiest like uh, normie marketing. Let's get some over-unders here. Like uh, over-under for ETH or sorry, EOS coming back is probably, I don't know, minus yeah. 3000 <laughs> at this point. <laughs> uh, what about something like Cardano, right? Where uh, apparently there are a lot of Cardano supporters out there. I don't know, man. I think it sounds like dead capital to me. It sounds like like it sounds like the XRP situation where it's like thirty billion of just dead like value there. Like, like who even who's gonna ever use XRP for anything? It's just like a bunch of you know, um, uh, like like dead dead weight there. And someone in the chat saying it's like sort of like illegal securities. And it's like you know, it, it is what it is. Like I'm a libertarian. I look at it as like free markets. And the 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 problem is that like there's always an incentive to do this. 
So that's why I'm very skeptical of just like restaking being purpose for other chains to so how the way CRM sort of um, frames it. And I think he's just a little bit of an honest actor. And so he assumes others are honest. But, you know, the, the point, I think the honest actors might use it to secure, um, you know, bridges. They might use it for DA layers because they think, you know, it might be uh, save them some gas fees. You know, the ones that are using to stay to, to do other chains, they will be honest. But I just don't see them, you know, foregoing that, you know, monetary premium by just doing that. So, you know, I, I, I don't see a reason for it. Like, realistically, L1s are just so difficult. They're just so hard. Like if you think about L1, there's only one L1 that can sustain based on incentives alone of the protocol, the design of the protocol forever. And that's Ethereum. Bitcoin, if you want to just look at strictly the security budget, it, it'll eventually run out, right? Now, I believe that Bitcoin will run forever no matter what other security budget. Like that's a separate belief. Like I just think, you know, yeah. even if people need to charity mine, they will charity mine Bitcoin if they have to just because it's just like a religion. And so, you know, I'm not worried about Bitcoin, but when you go down that... um start going down like the list, there's only one chain that will sustain indefinitely based on pure incentives, pure permissionless program, programmatic uh, incentives. And that's Ethereum. No other chain can sustain. Like Solana right now has like what, like 50 or something percent inflation. And yeah. like, it, it, that's not sustainable. Like you can't pay that much, you know, incentive to maintain a chain indefinitely. Right. And like their idea is that like one day there'll be enough um, activity that it'll, you know, be pay validators. And like, all right, maybe perhaps, I don't know, I don't want to, you know, uh, focus on Solana, but like, what about the other ones, right? Like, how likely is it that Aptos gets mass adoption and, you know, can sustain their crazy amount of inflation? Like, it's just unrealistic, in my opinion, that like, L1s are just so difficult. Like, they're not easy. They're very hard, right? So, you know, as long as they have, like, people can mint these, as long as people are believers in this whole faster chain, better UX idea, you know, they're just, you know, there's going to be free money for these uh, math nerds that just come out and build new L1s with slight tweaks. Yeah. I mean, the, the reason I wanted to bring up the LRTs is that it it might skew the markets a little bit. Like, let's say let's say the eigenlayer comes out and that these new AVS services are able to provide uh, additional yield of, say, like seven to 10 percent for the people providing services for them, all while the ETH yields get crushed down to like two or three in the long term. Um, you know, we, we might see significant inflows into the LRT ecosystem, which would increase ETH demand uh, on the borrowing markets as people, I mean, like the ETH borrow rates right now are like zero. They've always been pretty much zero, but uh, something like Eigenlayer could spur ETH borrowing rates to jump up to, I don't know, to match whatever the yields are for what they're making uh, in these AVS services. You know, like 10% might be the average. Some people might be making like 100, 200 percent uh, through the AVS services, and that just means that you should you should be borrowing as much ETH as possible to then go and stake, and it it, it could put uh, again price pressure on the on the LSD pegs, uh, and also increase demand costs uh, and borrowing costs for ETH for those LRTs. Well, in a finish in an efficient market, it should be that right. So I, I would I would expect that it does progress to that um, in that direction. Uh, Sam, you actually, I don't know if yeah. you're talking, but yeah, you're, I think you're oh, yeah, sorry. This is my, this is just my like frax, uh, frax, like bull, bull posting here. <laughs> <laughs> Once they re release their lending markets. Um, I, I, yeah, I mean, we could talk about that again the other day, but like what frax is building with uh, stick frax ETH2 or, or frax ETH2 essentially creates this like lending market so that even if the, uh, even if the, the, the yields for ETH drop to like two per, two to 3% in the long term, uh, the additional borrowing rates for the AVSs might keep the uh, the lending rates high. And so it would attract something like Aave in the long term 
which would uh, increase their yields. So, yeah, it's going to be an interesting product to watch too. Yeah. Fox chain too. I mean, a couple of days. Yeah. That's yeah, crazy. Uh, but I'm just looking at, you know, you can borrow ETH right now for like 1.1% or sorry, 2% on Aave right now, which is great. I mean, I do think that Eigenlayer is going to be a product. I mean, they're, they're going to do it. It's, it's, you know, it's, there's financial incentive. It's just like what Millie was saying with the L1s, you know, there's a financial incentive. And so it's going to boost the ETH staking yield probably. And, and you know what, maybe it runs for a little while, a year to 18 months without any issues and everybody gets comfortable with it. And it, it's probably going to happen. And I think they're good actors. I don't really think there's any maliciousness in that, you know, with that group. I think they're good. I think they're smart, like super smart, but it's, it's, you know, I agree with the L1 narrative thing. I, I just think that, you know, we don't need 500 L1s. We, we just don't, you know, and yeah. this concept that we need cheaper, you know, this whole thing that we need like sub one penny transactions for, you know, retail to come in. Retail isn't even here yet. Like there's no reason to even have that yet. Like it's just, I'd rather stick with L1, with ETH L1 right now at this point. Uh, before we wrap up, Millie, I wanted to talk about a post that you had yesterday, uh, or maybe even yeah, it was yesterday actually. So you said that Mish will have been trying to hit the exits before Uniswap V4 is released because he knows Curve will be useless after that wall. It was never a great AMM, and it's only sustained thanks to an insane amount of subsidies. I feel next to no empathy for the lenders at risk. <laughs> that's hardcore man <laughs> I love his jokes man I saw this one and I was like oh my god I gotta get these guys uh, on to talk about that stuff it's going let's, to talk, let's talk about hot you know, you know what I appreciate about it uh, Millie when Millie has stuff to say he actually says it exactly like he thinks <laughs> it he doesn't like uh, he actually wants to get his message through and it really made him uh, uh, along these like uh, throughout these past uh, few months maybe half a year or so uh, one of my favorite uh, Twitter accounts, honestly, man. I really like it. Even when I disagree, I like the way you uh, you express your thoughts. I, I appreciate it. I mean, honestly, one thing I should say is before, like, Fudzy, the guy who uh, put the initial tweet out, he posted it in um, the SNX Discord first. And I actually, like, when I first saw it, I'm like, you know, I assume what everyone else is saying is like, um, why would it look like, why, why is Mitch exiting if he's selling 9 million uh, T tokens to buy Curve, right? Like, he's obviously not trying to exit. He's buying more Curve. But right. then, you know, and I sort of, you know, went back and forth with him. And I also said um, that, like, first of all, like, you know, he was upset because he's like, yo, he's taking advantage of like a DeFi or whatever. And I'm like, he's not really taking advantage of it. Like these lenders are like giving him this liquidity, like, and whoever's depositing into here is clearly like, you know, you know, has money, uh, you know, aside to put in there. So like they could afford to lose some if they're, you know, something goes wrong. Like I don't see anything wrong here. That's why I said I have no empathy for any lenders at risk. And so... I don't think it's really a big deal. I don't think what Mitch is doing is actually wrong either. He's using taking advantage of liquidity. What Fudzy, the point he was making, and to his credit, is that when he's selling tokens to buy um, Curve, he actually has like 100 million or so, 70 million or so Curve um, already borrowed against somewhere on these lenders, right? So when he buys Curve and he just, even if he moves the price by 1%, on that 100 million, he gets a 1% more borrowing power. So he only uses a small amount of money. Like let's say he uses one one million to buy um, tokens. He actually gets unlocked borrowing power on those, and that's why he's buying it back and he's trying to create a bid. And the more illiquid curve is, the harder it is to do this whole death spiral. So like he also knows that too because last time 
every time like this death round is supposed to happen, the reason it couldn't happen is because there's no way to open a massive short and to short it down to create a cascade because it, it's not that liquid, right? Which is what right. killed Luna, really. Luna was so liquid, it literally collapsed to nothing. Whereas with Curve, you know, it's obviously not even close to the same uh, risk, not even like close to the same situation, but you just can't get a death spiral on such little liquidity. And Mitch is very smart and he knows that. So like, that's why I think, and the other thing I'll just say is like, why? You know, why? You have so much exposure to Curve. You have all these lenders, you know, exposed to your Curve. You have, um, like, I think he has something like mid eight figures worth of Curve vesting in, in 2024. Like, why? Why do you need to buy more Curve and create more risk? Like, it's irresponsible as hell. Like, why are you doing that? And it's like, to me, this doesn't make sense. But the weird before thing, I truly believe in. Like, I actually think you need before is going to be quite efficient. It's going to give them a huge advantage. And the reason I say that is because if you remember when Uniswap came out with the one basis bit, the one basis point pool, because when they first launched Uni V3, there was just the five bit, 30 bit, and 1% pool. Um, those were the three uh, factory pools that you can make uh, for Uniswap. And then they proposed a one basis point pool. And at that time, the Curve 3 pool, the main pool on Curve, which is um, DAI, USDT, and, and, and USDC, was trading at four bips. So they undercut the Curve pool by three bips. And Curve right away came out and released, uh, had a governance proposal to turn the three pool into a one bit pool as well. So now they're on par. But for Uniswap to create another one, it's just going to, it's going to fracture liquidity for them because to create a new pool, it costs money and it, you know, fractures liquidity between these two. And it's just a big governance process and it's a headache for them to deploy new pools. Whereas on Univ4 now, you know, these hooks, they could just be changed. Like the fee could just be lowered ad hoc at any time. And people could just opt in to subscribe to those hooks. And so now, like, let's say Curve does governance and they lower their fee down to um, half a bit. Unity 4 could just right away, like, uh, someone could make a hook or, like, they could just adjust one hook, the main hook, down to, um, for the, for the stablecoin pools, down to um, even less than that. And they could just under, keep undercutting them. And, and I think stablecoins are actually eventually going to converge on just above zero, like, literally just above zero fees. That's where they're going to converge for stablecoins, I think. And that's probably where, like, Curve eventually is going to tap out, right? And it's, like, they're paying so much for this liquidity. They're paying through their um, like their tokens, and there's going to be no fees coming back to the VE curve holders. That's just to to incentivize people to lock up. And I think that's where it's going to put a lot of pressure on Curve, uh, and you know to compete. Now the other thing is that like Curve, that's just a stable pool, um, pool side. Like Curve doesn't have a really good um, uh, volatile pool AMM in my opinion. Like I use Uniswap a lot, like as an LP. I haven't used Curve since 2020. Because you have to lock, you know, VE curve, you have to lock your curve to get the, the total boost. And it's like, you know, yeah, I could borrow against it, but like, I'm, I'm not really interested against borrowing it because I've seen so many exploits uh, on the curve LP with the curve LP tokens. And it's like, you know, realistically, like, you know, I, ha I don't know that many people that use curve that often, except for like whales and like the main uh, lenders, you know, like, so, I, you know, for, for me, like Uniswap's always been more useful, right? And I've LP'd like, Lots of long tail assets there. I've done a lot of different things. I've sold like um, tokens on like one-sided um, uh, uh, AMM positions, you know, like exit kind of like a, um, a limit order. Like, you know, you can use it in so many different ways. So for me, it's always been more useful from that sense. And it's been a little bit more gas efficient as well. Actually, a lot more gas efficient than Curve. So for me, it's just like, you know, if the stable pool is what's holding Curve together right now, and if Uniswap, you know, can just keep undercutting them forever, like with... With them with some like because you know these hooks you don't even have to like modify one hook you just use a new hook so that it's slightly lower and 
not everyone needs to subscribe to the new hook. You know, there'll be a lot of a capital still in the larger, maybe in the higher fee tier, but at least some keeps undercutting curve. And that's just going to be a problem for them. That's going to keep eating at their volume. And that's what's going to result in essentially, you know, no um, fees flowing back to VE curve holders, which like the whole thing relies on there being demand for VE curve. And if there isn't, you know, it becomes a problem. Well, can I, can I uh, like interject here? Sure. Uh, the CRV USD fees have, I think, outstripped the, the swap fees in the long term uh, or already. Yeah, they have. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, curve in the long term might just move towards, sure, this, the swap markets are always going to be there. I Because I see this, the curve swap markets as if, if you if you have assets, they have to go somewhere, right? Like they, they need to be they need to be sitting somewhere, right? Either they're sitting in custody in a in a centralized exchange or you've given it to a market maker who is you know, moving them back and forth between DeFi and a centralized exchange. Or in the case of Curve, they get deposited into, you can deposit a billion dollars worth of stables into a liquidity pool and they just they just exist there, right? Like, so we, we tend to see that with some of the, the, the DeFi protocols that, that use Curve as home, like Frax, like some of the other ones. Uh, who essentially can can keep massive amounts of their treasury there and earn a a good yield on their their assets because you know there is a a cost of holding assets and if you're not making whatever the baseline yield is for them in the case of stables it would be the the risk free rate that that treasury provides uh, or in the other volatile assets maybe it's the LSD uh, uh, fees uh, for ETH or or for other assets where there's there's borrowing fees. Uh, you know, you have to make that somewhere. And so Curve kind of just becomes the the de facto place where if if your protocol or if you have a large amount of capital, you can just deposit it there and get access to uh, uh, like revenue through through convex. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I mean, uh, there's so much to unpack there. Like it's it's you know, I mean, the way I see it is like, I you know, I see Curve as like a federation, as a, you know, conglomerate. There's. There's so much being built on top of it. You have you probably have like 30 or 40 protocols that are using Curve. Um, the stablecoin uh, narrative now that's coming in is is go only going to make Curve more prominent. Um, I think that the fees, yeah, I think that in general fees always kind of tend to race to, to zero, and I agree with that. That kind of makes sense. But I think that they're also making other products. You know, Curve USD is already think about it. Curve USD is already. Five hundred or six hundred thousand dollars a week, um, and they're only a billion, uh, only a hundred million dollars in, in in supply. I mean, when that gets to a billion dollars, it's going to be huge. Like it could be six or seven million dollars a week in fees. They're also going to be creating a lending market, so you have that. I mean, there's just there's there, then you have the bribe markets. Like they're actually all of these protocols are submitting bribes every two weeks in the millions of dollars. And that's adding value to Curve. It's not coming from just the missions. So you have, you have a, a and then of course there's always a, the whole the whole thing that you brought up about you know Mitch and the loans and this and that. And you know I, I agree optically it's it's probably not the best thing, um, but you know what as a founder, what can he do? I mean if he sells tokens he's just you know he's dumping. If he's if he's um, you know borrowing you know he's a scammer. If he like, there's no exit for him really. And honestly, if you think about it mathematically, he really is doing the best you could do with the tokens, like borrowing against the tokens so that they're locked up and they're not used. So they can't be used uh, uh, to short the token. It's actually a smart play. 
I mean, well, selling I can be borrowed again. Like they could borrow it, right? You could borrow curve his curve to short it, and I don't think that's really an issue. And I don't have an issue with Mitch particularly, but the, the way I look at it is like, it, it doesn't make. Why are you buying more now? Like you're, you know, it's it's off putting for others, and it's also like it's it's now you're adding risk. Like it doesn't, you know. So it's like at least I, 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 a little bit, right? Like because yeah, you know, I agree. Optically, it it may not look look. The, the best i agree with that but i i also feel like you know curve is sort of like this poster child for like you know uh, it, it this doesn't seem to happen with any of the other like you know founders and i we see all kinds of weird um fraudulent things happening with with other tokens and other you know protocols and you got a guy here who's got, got well is worth well over a hundred million dollars he's in the this he's in the the telegram and discord like every day like grinding out like you know new products i just i don't think he's a bad actor um, i think not. he's one of the I'll smartest guys we have in DeFi. you know yeah. I, this guy's a mathematician like trying to go short against mitch is like probably the dumbest thing anybody could ever want to do this guy probably knows where every single curve token probably is like he he's like a poker player he, he yeah. knows where every he knows where every card is even Avi couldn't even Avi Eisenberg couldn't pull it off, by the way. Yeah, yeah, like if he doesn't know, like he probably has a dashboard for like every single address with every single con I mean, he's not he's taking calculated, smart, scientific risks. And you know, every time there's a death spiral conversation, it doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And you know, and, and all we get is new products and more fees and more revenue. And eventually, unless unless there the stablecoin narrative just disappears. Or what about the, the liquid staking derivatives? We keep talking about LSDs and Eigenlayer and now RSTs. These are like assets. You know, these are synthetic, same like assets, pegged assets. They're going to be huge in the coming years. And so unless something else develops, unless Uniswap creates something that's going to, you know, reform the whole LST market, or you can start building on top of, you know, maybe the hooks does it. I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't really understand the hooks completely. I was reading some of the stuff you did. You 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 wrote uh, Millie about it. Like, yeah, may, maybe there's. A, but I also think there's some like there's some security risks with that, with the way the contracts are built. Um, there's there's some issues too with like um, censorship. Like, I don't know how censorship resistant you know Uniswap becomes when it's now consolidated into one contract. You, you have a lot of different issues there, you know, and then, of course, you have the big overarching fact, which no one seems to be talking about, is that there's no creative to uh, uh, value to Uniswap token at all. It's just a governance token. I mean, at least I know every two weeks when, when I'm staking CRV or when I'm getting bribes, I'm actually getting bribes that are coming from another source that are not coming from emissions. So unless they do something to really reform the way the tokenomics of Uniswap plays out, it, it may go up. I mean, I'm not saying it doesn't mean that it's a uh, curve is going to be a good investment. It may be that Uniswap is the better investment and it 10 X is from here. And, you know, okay, okay. Sorry, sorry. One, one thing I need to say here, I, I do not endorse Uni token anyway. It's a shit coin. I would not recommend anyone touching it. And if you go back on my post, initially, <laughs> I, I specifically was talking about the AMM. So back to Sam's point about how he's talking about like curve USC is getting a lot of fees. Now that's great. Like, you know, I think that's an interesting product, but that's not the AMM. Right. No, and like, no. I think so the Uniswap AMM to me is superior. And that's really what I was hinting at. And so when I meant in terms of irrelevance, I meant irrelevance as an AMM. And so if you yeah. even look at right now, the main pools, there's only one pool that yields a lot. And that's purely through emissions. And that's the Frax pools. And that's because Frax are just, you know, is, is so active in the curve scene. And they're like the main project 
that pretty much is holding curve up in my opinion right now like convex to me is like i come it's, it has a bunch of v curve lock but it doesn't really do anything like it does nothing really valuable it has a v bribe factory but like you know it, it it doesn't really do much add much like it's urine and fracks in my opinion that are like the interesting things that are holding curve together and like it's great that like they're it's still engaged but like you know i wonder how long that ends up playing out right like these bribes like um a lot of these bribes are coming usually from like the ruggiest protocols right like the the biggest bribes were like the luna bribes and like you know it just really just allowed luna to just blow up yeah. basically but but really what you don't know is like what's coming right now directly from paypal is an onslaught of i don't even want to use the word bribes of incentives because they're not even allowed to use the word bribes like they're it's going to be huge man like i'm talking to these guys and <laughs> yeah but like realistically it, it only sustains to a period right like they, they don't need it forever it's like an ongoing expense to have liquidity and like i think this was one other thing like you know curve usd itself it, it only like that sure there's a lot of fees now but like how long will those fees forever be and like what is the where are those fees coming from They're mainly coming from uh, from what i understand like liquidation fees is that is that what it is no uh, it's no, no no i got it it's from the interest i mean take a look at the they'd rather pay high interest rates because there's no very very little risk of any liquidation so when this becomes bigger this is only 100 million 99 million right now and it's earning 500,000 a week so if this thing gets to a bill if it doesn't get to a billion i agree with you it's a failure like if curve usd doesn't get to a billion it's done well, but, remember, interest rates are cyclical with with markets and leverage. So right now, it's full bull mode. Everybody wants to borrow the stables. To, is this bull mode? Like, yeah, of bull course. Mode. Bitcoin, Bitcoin's gone up two x in in the past year. Yeah, yeah but two x well too. Like, well, who's going to borrow against that? Like, why would I borrow at twelve percent on uh, for Curve USD? Like, because why? you don't because, have because ETH and BTC are going to double in that time period. And what's what's ten percent when you're going to have two like two or three x asset appreciation? But, but you could do that, you know, on LSD for like closer to zero or, or not even um, um liquidity. Let's let's look at like even die. You can borrow die for less, right? And you can short die. Like, I just you know for me it's. It's a you know stable coins is the toughest market by far in crypto. Creating a stable I agree with coin, you there. It's, it's so difficult. Creating a stable coin is going against the laws of physics, right? Like physics dictates that you know you cannot have a stable coin, which is why we haven't seen a purely like decentralized stable coin scale that far. And they keep adding um, almost all of them introduced USDC at one point because they need to unlock the actual dollar you know arbitrage in order to scale it because it's going against the laws of physics, like to create a stable coin. It's very difficult. So I don't think Curve is going to make a breakthrough here with their, you know, they could have made a huge breakthrough and because there would be demand for the actual stablecoin by keeping it as decentralized as possible, that is like, there's actual demand for LUSD to just hold it because it's very decentralized. The demand for DAI comes from a similar place, but there's also a yield for it. And the more you add in a centralized stablecoin to back it, the more the actual demand for that wrapper drops eventually, right? Because you just hold the USD itself. And so like, and if we're looking at, oh, like maybe the, uh, the DAI doesn't have a blacklist function, USD does, USDC does, like how long is that going to really last, right? Like if it really becomes an issue, like, you know, that the whole DAI um, PSM might, that might get like blacklisted. But like that's a separate discussion. So like to me, it's like if he would have, you know, and this really might be a personal thing for me. I wish he would have at least taken a crack because Curve was in this really unique situation where the ongoing expense of incentivizing liquidity wouldn't have been a true expense because it would be an expense for a stablecoin that is their own. So if they were to incentivize a ton of liquidity for ETH-backed only stablecoin, 
they for any other protocol like liquidity they can't incentivize LUSD liquidity forever like it just can't they don't even have governance first of all so this is relying on external uh, protocols to do it and then even the ones that do have it governance they can't do it forever but curve was in a unique position to do it and i sort of i feel like you know he they took the easiest route, but like it's also because they didn't have control because Frax has so much VE curve, right? Like that was influence, and they could, you know, they want and not just Frax, but like other, um, whatever else is backing it. Like realistically, what? I mean, I don't know. In my opinion, it was, it's it's a stable coin. It's a good one to see if it doesn't get like real demand in the long term. It's just going to see the same fate at every stable coin we see out there that is just uh, collateral backed. That's just going it, to, it fizzles out at some point of demand. And like, I don't know, it's it's a tricky one. And you know what? I agree with a lot of things you said. I do want the curve to succeed. I don't in any way want it to be, um, fade off. But like, particularly the AMM to me is becoming less and less interesting as the days goes on. And if, when Uni V4 comes out, I, I feel like it's going to, you know, be a pretty big hit on their um, on their AMM side of things. I, I don't know. I would take a counterpoint here to say that the long-term health of Curve is really based on the amount of projects that like subscribe into the ecosystem, right? And if you continue to have projects, like in 2023, we had Prism Finance, uh, we had FFX Protocol. If you keep having more of these successful projects that come in and are able to attract uh, you know, significant volumes and, and TVL into their pools, I mean, that's a net positive for Curve in the long run and Convex. Uh, and the, the idea that I would think is that, sure, you know, Frax had been the only person that had been subscribed into Convex up until 2023. And, and now we have these uh, additional protocols, which have kind of like tied themselves into Curve and Convex. And the hope would be that you continue to have players like that who, who want to be in the Curve Convex ecosystem, who want to have some sort of like liquid uh, wrapper. For their tokens and essentially will become net buyers of crv and cvx for the long term yeah and i also think so, by the way i think that uh, frax did it for like frax bought the crv and locked so much vcrv and uh, vlcvx for a reason you know what i mean like uh, they knew what they were doing well I mean, they that... identified they identified this nice arbitrage where they could spend one dollar of bribes exactly and get one more than one dollar of 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 like exactly and they were very but the but they saw that they can utilize like they could benefit so much by the infrastructure built by uh, Curve and they were very early to uh, like spot that. And in my opinion, it's one of the things that uh, like made Frax uh, in a much better position than uh, without it. Like for me, it was a very uh, big strategic move uh, for them uh, then. And uh, and I do think that you know uh, Curve in a way, in my opinion at least, I don't know. It, it's the heart of the federation. I I don't see any other uh, crypto protocol like DeFi protocol who's actually like uh, attracting and absorbing so many other uh, as a center of a specific ecosystem. And like uh, I, I can't think of anything like similar uh, to it. Although uh, definitely, Emily, you bring up a lot of interesting uh, points and angles uh, here. And by the way, Vesto, I, I did want to ask you about uh, one of Rex's uh, comments here about the collapse of the VLCVX uh, bribe market. If you, if, if, maybe if you have some well, thoughts. You on know, that. I definitely think you know it suffered just like everything else in crypto for the last yeah. year and a half. But if you look in the last six or seven uh, epochs, you know it's been actually climbing. And I know that you know uh, PayPal and Paxos and Frax are all doing things now that are going to be increasing the, uh, the, I believe that over time there's going to be an increasing uh, bribe market. 
Um, in fact, if you look right now at the Prisma emissions, Prisma emissions are actually higher than curve emissions right now. Bribes technically, if, it, if everything was completely efficient right now, should be at double where they are right now. And I think over time, if you look at the Prisma side of things, they've actually increased epoch over epoch. And I think as Convex continues to acquire more uh, protocols, they're going to continue to create new bribe markets and you're going to see more and more of this. Um, one thing that I'll mention too, which I don't know anybody's really thinking about is I see Curve not, and I kind of go back to the way Sam uh, K like describes it. I don't see it as just a DEX. I see it as tools and infrastructure for the future ETH miners. Because if you think about it, the miners before, the ETH miners are really now ETH LSDs. And their main tool is Curve. And so anything, whether it be an LST or an RST now with, with Eigenlayer or any synthetic derivative is now basically, they're going to, what do they do? They go and spin up a Curve pool. I haven't heard anyone say, hey, let's go spin up a Uniswap pool so we can get up our, our, our LSD. I haven't heard that in any commentary yet. Now, maybe Hooks does it. I, I don't know. I don't know enough about Hooks because it's still very new and I haven't seen any implementation of it to where it may, maybe it does some fantastic thing to where it makes it more valuable for, for them to use the Uniswap decks. And I, I, I don't, I, again, I don't think it's like one or the other. Like, I definitely think both will succeed. I don't see a reason why there's not a room for Uniswap and Curve in the Holy... I know there's this whole thing like where it has to be one or the other, but that doesn't really make a lot of sense either. you know. But if I see it more as like infrastructure for mining, and that's where I kind of think it, it... you know, And so that's where coming from the DEX point of view. And then on top of that, there's the Curve USD and the lending market and other things that may come out down the road. But, but from a DEX point of view, I try to consider it like the picks and shovels for the LSD markets. And as long as that becomes something big, then there should be room for curve in there somewhere. Yeah, I mean, those are fair points. I think the one thing I'm, I'm a little bit skeptical about, about the bribes is that like, the you know, eventually those things are supposed to converge to one-to-one, -one, like an efficient market, they probably will. And then the other thing is like, the people that are bribing are not that exciting. Like, I, I understand Prisma's interesting project. It's, it's like a liquidity fork with LSDs. It's interesting, but like, you know, it's it's not as exciting, right? Like, I, you know, I like Yearn and I like Frax. I like what they're doing. It's, you know, very interesting projects. Aside from that, I haven't seen a lot of like other projects other than people trying to sell stable coins get involved here. Like, yeah, I, you know, you make a really good point with the um, staking derivatives. And I'm just trying to look at right now and see like where is the has the most staking derivative derivatives outside of STE and Frax. And I, I, it looks like STE and Frax are basically like their their liquidity sources are curved, which is fair enough. Um, so like, you know, that, that, that's a good point there. But like, you know, realistically, it's not really paying a lot to be there right now. Even on STETH right now, the base APR is actually more than the curve bribe, uh, curve incentives. Um, so it's like, it's a tricky one. And, it's, and I don't know, and you know what, you, you guys are right. Like curve is definitely more than just AMM. And, you know, I think I was probably just laser focusing in on the AMM side of things when I was sort of making that tweet. Um, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm very curious to see how it plays out in the long term. I've always been a little bit skeptical of bribes, but because like they should converge to one-to-one -one eventually. But until they do, like, and, and you know, even if they do commercial one-to-one, it probably won't go lower. So there's that advantage. So it'll always either be one or above that. So, I mean, it, you know, it, I, I, you guys make some good points. I just, and in the end of the day, for me, I, I feel like Uniswap is a little bit more exciting from an AMM perspective. But, you know, there's obviously, a Curve has a lot of good things going for it as well. 
And by the way, Mili, how do you uh, feel about uh, the fact that uh, I think, because I personally think that, uh, again, like I, I can get your point here on, uh, on a lot of that stuff, but uh, how, how do you feel about like developments like uh, PayPal entering that, uh, like the, the incentive market, the bribe market, however, uh, however it uh, is appropriate to call it now? Because I well, think that this thing like, in a way, like much more interesting players that are uh, starting to uh, look at the space and be active on it. That's bigger than Luna, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think that would be a huge development for Curve. But again, it's like, you know, especially for something like PayPal, I feel like it would event, it would converge, right? To Well, um, well to, Mary, let me just tell you this. Take a look at the next round. I'll tell you that. You know, I, I, will just, I, I will tune in. But like the other thing I'll say is like, <laughs> what is Curve going to incentivize with? Like they don't have a Curve, they don't have a PayPal governance token, right? Like what is PayPal going to use to incentivize? They're going to have to use USD. I can only I'll tell you what it is. PYUSD. PYUSD. So it's going to eventually be a come down to them to like look at what the expenses are. And as long as, you know, they're getting more bribes and they're paying, I'm sure they'll continue doing it. Um, but eventually it'll, you know, it'll, it'll become an issue. If PayPal becomes a long-term curve, like subscriber, you know, that'd be a very bullish development. I will concede that hundred percent. Right. Well, well they, they might be right because like let's just bring up the the fees for paypal i know this is a little bit small but like if you're trading more than a hundred or a thousand dollars worth of pyusd for another type of crypto inside of, of paypal i mean you're paying 1.45 percent that seems like quite a lot uh it's even more if you're trading less than that uh and so people naturally well, realize that this was like this yeah now that you're showing it to me <laughs> yeah i'm sorry this is so small it, it's a it is uh a little bit, but the the fee above a thousand dollars is like a percent and a half. That's quite large. Uh, or if you take the PYUSD off platform into the crypto ecosystem, now you can just use one of the aggregators or swap through Curve or uh, use that. That's a big deal. Yeah, yeah, that is yeah. a big deal. And yeah. you know, we we are seeing more protocols that are going to be launching through Convex. Uh, we had Curvance uh, that came on the show at the beginning of the year, uh, and they have talked about uh, what they're going to do. I, I'm sure they'll be integrated with with Curve and Convex as well too, as they're going to be this like cross-chain aggregator for for all of DeFi, omni-chain money market. Um, so there, I think there are more about protocols, right? Getting locked into FXS, getting locked into Convex. Yeah, uh, if the Frax chain thing happens. Yeah, I, I think of I think of like Curve is more of like a social system for for DeFi protocols. And yeah. so as long as as long as curve can continue to inspire people to want to come and join the system, then it has long term growth. Right. It's it's like an it's like a DeFi aggregator for liquidity and and uh, money markets. But you know what? I'm also interested to see what happens with Uniswap. I mean, it, 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 the for technology sure. is technology. There could be something that it completely unlocks, you know, and well, we know it, it, it all comes down to I, at the end of the day, I think it all comes down to like this this idea of if you if you're a large asset holder. What, what do you do with your assets, right? Like where are those assets going to sit? Because there's a, like a, a default base cost of carry for, for any asset that you have, whether it's stable coins, you know, the, that, that carry rate is the, the risk-free rate. If you have Bitcoin or ETH, it's either the, uh, the base borrowing rate or the, uh, the LSD rate. And so with, with any of these, you have to make a strategic decision of, okay, wh where am I going to house these assets while I'm custodying them? And so for some people, the, the idea with, with Curve would be like, okay, I can just deposit in Curve and take part in the Curve ecosystem. With Uniswap, it's becoming more of this, this question of like, 
okay, I can put them into, into Uniswap. I can have these complex uh, concentrated AMM positions or with Uniswap V4, if I'm a market maker, I can essentially keep my assets in a centralized exchange somewhere and then just uh, like fill orders that come through Uniswap X. And so the Uniswap is just offering different, uh, different ways to custody assets uh, inside of a, a, a market making facility. Uh, so that different actors can can take part, and so it's it's just a different system than what Curve yeah. offers. It's just a, like a different flavor. Like, like if you're a market true. maker and you're you're having assets, you can you can use Uniswap X to keep assets inside a centralized exchange, and then just fire off orders once once they appear, right? Like you can just fill the order straight right. from from a centralized exchange. So now you can engage in like on uh, centralized exchange market making and fill DeFi orders at the same time, which is kind of like a very novel and interesting like growth uh, story for Uniswap as we go into this next uh, couple of years. Totally agree. One, one thing I would say is that, you know, you could definitely see how like Mitch is, you know, he built a whole like, uh, like empire around him that like sort of keeps curve going. And that's like, you know, I, I commend that a lot. Like, you know, it's interesting and you know, whatever differences I might have uh, in opinions, I, I, I think that it, that is impressive. Um, like, you know, realistically, like, uh, you know, you guys are right. Curve is bigger than than, than uh, just AMM, but um, you know, it, I'm just curious to see how it ends up playing out. Like, it really depends on there just being demand to continue locking up Curve um, in the long term. So, it'll, you know, it markets eventually become efficient, but they could stay uh, inefficient for a long time. And then the other thing I I just want to say is that like, I just wish that you know he would be a little bit more responsible with the token than in this case, like because it just like the protocol relies so much on these uh, the, the token emissions, like. You know, maybe it would be wise for him to be, you know, deleverage a little bit. Like, you know, I, I, that's what I would think. Like, yeah, uh, you know, and then the day, like, uh, I'm just curious to see how it plays out. Like, I do understand that Silo was basically meant to um, facilitate borrows against Curve USD. Uh, the Silo, like the 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 one, uh, yeah, Alma edition or whatever. So, mm -hmm. you know, I I would like to see uh, maybe Mitch like tone it down with a little bit on on the risk side of things to maybe increase the health of the ecosystem. But, you know, I mean, in, in the end of the day, I think, you know, my long-term thesis is that, like, it's it's going to be difficult to maintain an efficiency for an extended amount of time. So PayPal USD is an interesting one. That is one where, like, there's real demand for a PayPal stablecoin, perhaps, because people can redeem it. But, if, and, like, you know, it's, it's yet to be seen, like, in the long term, how that ends up playing out, I guess. Uh, so I did want to bring up this tweet uh, in response to your diversification calls. So uh, Bill Gates met with uh, Warren Buffett many years back. <laughs> And uh, got him to diversify out. So today, Bill Gates is only worth about $138 billion. And he, if he hadn't sold any of his Microsoft stock, he'd be worth $1.3 trillion today. Yeah. Maybe Buffett <laughs> just didn't want him to be richer than him. <laughs> no? He saw it coming, man. That's Buffett. He wouldn't, uh, like, I don't know. Sometimes diversification is bad, right? Yeah. <laughs> Concentrated bets, right? Concentrated yeah, and bets. And I think he knew it. I think he knew it when he told... Uh, uh, Bill Gates to uh, to diversify because he didn't want uh, Bill Gates to become uh, richer than him. You know? Yeah, he was just trying to keep him down, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> this, game, this game is played uh, with some rules, you know. Uh, well, that, we'll end it there. Uh, we went a little bit longer than usual, but I think the discussion was really good. Millie, uh, by uh, the way, I just want to show one mm -hmm. more thing, Sam, if uh, you can, because uh, especially when we talked about uh, yeah, sure, like with uh, Gary Gensler at uh, the end. Did you do you see this tweet that I'm sending that I sent now from uh, Tommy G? Oh yeah, Tommy sure. Genesis? Uh, he was. 
even for, even forget the, the specific CRV like <laughs> like I'm just saying that you know what the SEC as much as they're the, like as much as they're warning us about uh, and protecting us from uh, our FOMO uh, they're also uh, like uh, we should be also protected by their fad I think he's just <laughs> raising a good point maybe one day Tvi advisor maybe one day definitely I want to hit you up uh, on Twitter on um on telegram definitely I, I appreciate for bringing me out this was actually a really fun discussion yeah uh, yeah great yeah. thanks thanks both of you for coming at such short notice really appreciate it and honestly I think Sam uh, is right like uh this was a great uh, discussion this was a lot of fun yeah thank you everybody for tuning in we will be back tomorrow make sure to follow us on Twitter and YouTube to watch our streams every single day and then also we have this every amazing- single day gentlemen every single day by the way Sam we're approaching uh, 1,000 subscribers I see on uh on YouTube yeah on YouTube. Nice. yeah uh and then yeah so uh thank you for everybody for subscribing we'll be back tomorrow and go enjoy your day hopefully we get a spot of ETF approval today Yep. Oh no, wow, wow, wow. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Take care. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.